0: This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Reflux, also known as heartburn, can be a very frustrating problem for our infants, our children, teens, and adults. It's one of our most common complaints that we address in clinic in both our pediatric and adult medicine. So today we have Dr. Jarrett Morgan, who's also a med physician at UMMC, on the show with us to discuss reflux. We're going to be talking about the different causes and treatments and answering any questions that you may have. So share your comments and questions with us this morning by giving us a call at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. And Remedy Kids and Teens and MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC reflux, also known as heartburn, can be a frustrating problem for our infants, children, teens, and adults. And it's one of our most common complaints that we have to address in clinic, both in our pediatrics and our internal medicine clinics. So today we have Dr. Jarrett Morgan. He is also an internal medicine and pediatrics trained physician at UMMC. He's on the show with us to discuss reflux. We're going to talk about different causes, treatments, and answering any questions that you may have. As usual, we're going to be taking your calls, so give us a call and let us hear from you. one seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. So welcome, Dr. Morgan. Thank you for coming on with us today.
2: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what reflux is and what uh, we also commonly refer to it as heartburn. Mm-hmm. But tell us a little bit about what it is exactly and how it's different in our kids and in our adults.
2: Yeah, so reflux is a very common problem, especially in Mississippi, especially something that I see in my practice uh, pretty much every single week. Um, It definitely has different presentations depending on if you're an adult or a child. Um, In adults, we'll start, of course, with that one. Um, So adults can have uh, kind of a myriad of complaints, but usually ranging from that heartburn, like you mentioned earlier, kind of that... Chest pain, right in the center of your chest, kind of may radiate upward towards your throat. They may also have a sense of uh, or sour taste in their mouth that we often call water brash, if you've ever heard that term before, um, as well as some nausea, maybe some lower abdominal pain kind of in the tummy area, kind of that right upper or left upper spot of your belly. Um, may be worse after a large meal. I know a lot of people complain, especially uh, we love our fried chicken here in <laughs> Mississippi. Um, so those large, fried, fatty meals may uh, make things a lot worse. You may have symptoms that come about 10, 15 minutes after the meals. Uh, may be worse, especially after you lay down at nighttime. Um, and that's a lot of the complaints that I see in my practice. Um, now in kids, we can have uh, kind of a, a different uh, set of symptoms. Obviously, children, infants uh, can't really tell us a a lot about what's going on because it can't really talk. Um, but you'll hear us mention um, different things about like spit up and reflux. So um, under the heading of what we call gastroesophageal reflux or GER, um, you can hear us talk about spit up. So a lot of babies have spit-up. In fact, spit-up can be very, very common. Um, most kids will have a little element of spit-up, usually starting about like two to three weeks after birth, um, may extend anywhere up until like four or five uh, months uh, after birth. Um, some can have quite long time. Um, usually it's the fact that they're just going about their way, cooing, playing with their parents, and all of a sudden they have a light flow of, of food or formula from their mouth. Um, Usually they don't appear in any distress, but they can. I will talk about that a little bit later on. Um, But usually it's a small amount, small to moderate amount of the formula that they've been taking. Um, uh, I guess we'll get into some red flag symptoms a little bit later on. I guess do you want to talk about some red flag symptoms right now or kind of save that for a little bit later maybe?
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that in just Mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, so you, we're talking about reflux today. We've got Dr. Jarrett Morgan owned with us, and we'd love to hear any questions or comments that you may have. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So yeah, so reflux is. It's very irritating, and it can be a very concerning. I know pretty much everybody out there, I'm sure, has experienced it at some point. And mm-hmm. heartburn, it can, be, um, it can be a very scary feeling if you've never had it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he said, it doesn't necessarily, it's not always pain. It can be that sour taste. It can be just nausea. In kids, it's probably going to be spit up and fussiness, um, which can be a little bit harder to detect sometimes if, mm-hmm. unless they're just spitting up everywhere. So tell us, because it's a little bit different, like why it happens in kids and why it happens in adults, why do we see it so much in our babies? Because I usually tell parents, you know, at at our visits – all babies are going to spit up at some point. Some mm-hmm. just spit up more than others.
2: Exactly. Um, so babies are, obviously, they're growing. Uh, every part of their body is growing. Not everything is quite to the same degree as it is in adults, obviously. Um, so and there's a muscle uh, going from the food tube down to the stomach that acts kind of as the gateway uh, between food and the stomach, or between the stomach and the rest of the digestive tract, the upper part of the digestive tract. And that muscle can be pretty darn weak um, in, in babies. Just like uh, all their muscles. Are awake. Exactly, um, and it could depend on like position or amount of feed that we're kind of get into a little bit later on. But that muscle can't always hold things in the stomach, so mm-hmm. they, it, it just becomes uh, a part that just sets it off and reflux, or the formula just refluxes back up. Um, so that's what makes it pretty common.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So pretty much every baby is going to do it at some point. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, some just do it more than others.
2: Exactly. And it can be definitely a problem for parents, a very distressing problem for parents.
0: It can, yes. I know. I I tell parents sometimes, you know, all babies are going to do it, just bring some extra clothes. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> make sure you have some burp cloths, unfortunately. But it can be such a frustrating thing to deal with as a parent. Mm-hmm. So like you were talking earlier, there are some warning signs. You know, we we said all babies spit up, but sometimes it can be you know, certain things that we need to look out for and when you need to talk to your doctor about it and when you need to intervene. So what are some of those kind of red flag symptoms like you talked about, warning signs for parents that they need to talk to their doctor about.
2: Exactly. So uh, like I mentioned, for usually the, the happy spitters, as we like to call them, they may have just a little light flow, a formula that comes out. They're going about their way, cooing, playful. But sometimes, uh, obviously, you're refluxing stomach content. So you're refluxing acid along with everything. Uh, sometimes that can be very painful for the baby. So some of the more red flag symptoms of the more severe reflux can be things like refusal to feed. So if the baby's just not taking the formula that they were, not taking adequate amounts, that's definitely a red flag. Um, Oftentimes when I see babies in my clinic, I usually um, show parents their growth chart. Um, So this is really, the growth chart is really just a comparison uh, to a certain growth rate that we know that babies should have according to their length, weight, and head circumference. So if their if their growth pattern is off, if they're not quite tracking well, is the way we put it, with regards to length or weight, that's a red flag. So again, refusal to feed, poor weight gain. Sometimes when they're feeding and they reflux, they may arch their back. They may have um, uh, even a color change if they're really in pain and bearing down. They seem to be in pain, obviously to the parents. That's another red flag also with regard to the content of the um, of the reflux itself. Um, if there is any type of blood or greenish type of material in it, that's kind of a red flag as well. And there are some conditions, which I guess we'll kind of mention a little bit later on, um, that also need to be um, evaluated a little bit more emergently. Uh, so some of those are some of the more red flag symptoms that pediatricians need to see their baby, need to see the child a little bit more readily in those cases.
0: Yes, exactly. We're talking today about reflux in infants and in adults. So give us a call and let us know any questions that you may have or share some comments about your experiences with reflux. Call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 so like you were saying, it sh- it should look milky. Mm-hmm. A lot of times parents will say, too, like, it smells sour. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I mean, it, it is. It's sour milk, you know. So it's going to have an odor to it. So, you know, not necessarily that sour smell is not really anything in particular. Um, But it should look milky. And like he said, it shouldn't be green. It shouldn't be brown. It shouldn't have blood in it. Um, So all of those would be reasons to seek care and get checked out, especially if you're having a color change in the formula. You need to go to the ER. That's one thing that um, we don't need to delay. Because that could mean that there's something going on inside, you know, inside their gut and not necessarily just reflux. In particular, what we would be concerned about is an obstruction mm-hmm. or when the formula can't pass. And so that is definitely something that we want to make sure that we get checked out emergently. Um, Another thing that we were, I would like to talk about, you know, most of the time when they reflux, it's just a little bit of spit up, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes even kids, healthy kids with reflux, it can be pretty forceful Mm -hmm. spitting up. Um, And if you've had some kids and grandkids out there, I'm sure at some point you've seen a child that has pretty forceful spit up. Mm -hmm. But if it is what we call projectile or shooting across the room, essentially, you know, it can kind of go out their mouth and hit the floor you know if you're holding them in their in your lap it may bypass like your legs and hit the floor and that's you know more forceful spit up but if it is projecting and going a couple of feet that usually can mean something else is going on and that's something that we definitely want to get checked out
2: Exactly. So um, on either side of the stomach, there is a muscle, right? And so the muscle kind of at the end of the stomach kind of does this opposite thing. It's a very rare condition, um, but it's called pyloric stenosis. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that Dr. McLeod, that that you're mentioning that is more of an emergent case in which it needs to be evaluated a little bit quicker.
0: And one of the things to know about pyloric stenosis is it, you know, usually it doesn't happen till they get a little bit closer to four weeks old or so. So it's a little bit later presentation of it. Um, so you'll notice that maybe your kid never really had problems with reflux before. And then all of a sudden, they just are getting worse and worse with the spitting up. And it, because the pyloric stenosis is not, it's only going to continue to get worse. Mm-hmm. So you'll notice that maybe the, proje- check, uh, excuse me, the projecting of the spit up is going to get progressively worse. And that can be a sign that something else is going on. and usually they get pretty dehydrated with that fairly quickly so you'll have warning signs but that's something definitely to keep in the back of your mind if you notice your child's reflux is only getting worse and not getting better they need to go get checked out exactly looks like we have a caller so we'll go to sally she's in ocean springs thanks for calling hi thanks for having me yeah what's your question um, I have a baby with reflux. She's five
3: months old. She is gaining weight. Um, typically, she is not projectile vomiting, but um, for quite a, a long time, maybe since like two months, three months, she drools excessively. It smells um, kind of like vinegar sometimes. And she will spit up well after she's eaten, and it's like a clear with some white bits in it. Um, and you know, everything Google says says that that's reflux. Um, and I'm wondering um, if she's gaining, typically if she's good, and what are some of the more natural uh, ways to deal with reflux um, rather than putting her on a prescription?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, some easy things that you can do is just changing the feeding, the way you feed. So uh, I don't if she's five months, she's probably eaten bigger size bottles by now, probably closer to six ounces or so. Jeez. She's uh, 100% breastfed. Oh, okay, okay. So breastfeeding is a little bit trickier because you can't really, uh, you know, you're not looking at a specific amount. Um So it's not, you know, in our formula-fed babies, we can try to help them decrease the amount of formula that they're taking or change up the size of their bottles and how often they feed. So breastfed is a little bit trickier um, when it comes to that, but it's still definitely possible. So one thing that I would say is take frequent breaks. So if you slow the baby down when they're eating and let that milk have a little bit longer time to pass through their stomach, so, and, and, you know, Try to pause them. Um, it's hard to say for sure exactly how long. It depends on how long the baby feeds. But if you can say the baby feeds 15, 20 minutes, maybe every three to five minutes, take them off the breast and burp them. Yeah. Um, it's uh, our, re- our reflux babies tend to be ones that aren't very good at burping, so you kind of have to help them Mm -hmm. along with that. So making them take breaks to burp is one thing you can do. Um, Keeping them upright for at least 30 minutes after they eat, which can sometimes be hard to do, but try not to jostle them around and move them around too much and actually keep them propped up um, is another thing that you can do. Some, uh, you know, the... Breast milk itself really has so much good stuff in it when it comes to probiotics and the different enzymes and things like that. So the biggest things to do for breast milk is, um, like I said, just pause with the feedings, keeping them upright, make sure they're burping really well. Those are some of the best things that you can do.
3: Is One more question. Is the, the clear... Um the clear spit up with some specks of milk in it is that an indication of anything like that you know since it you know can happen up to like 45 minutes an hour after she ate
0: yes no i think you're exactly right i think it is reflux yeah it can definitely just look milky clearish stuff when we worry is if it gets darker actually so if it's clearer and milky that's okay the darker stuff is the one that worries us
3: and then drooling is that also a indication excessive drooling
0: it can be the other thing okay. is she's right about the age where she could start be teething yeah. now too okay. so okay. um it, it's probably a combination of both okay thank y'all so much for your time yeah thank you, thank thank you for you. your call Bye. We're talking today about reflux and heartburn um, from kids all the way to adults. It's a very common issue that we see all the time in clinics. So we'd love to hear any questions or comments that you may have. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. And we'll be back after the break.
1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This
0: is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we're talking about reflux or heartburn, which can be a problem for all ages. We see it in our babies, we see it in our kids, we see it in our adults. It is a very common complaint that we see in clinics, so that's what we're talking about today. We've got Dr. Jarrett Morgan on with us. He is an internal medicine and pediatrics doctor as well at UMMC. Uh, We'd love to hear any questions or comments that you may have, so give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So to kind of piggyback on what that last caller was asking, um, you know, some different tips that we can do, help with the reflux because we definitely don't want to start kids on medications if we do not have to. And most of the time we don't have to start medicines. Um, If we can just do a few different changes with our feeds. uh, Sometimes you don't even have to really change formula. Most of the time you can just help treat reflux just by a few little interventions with feeding. So one of the most common things that we see is overfeeding which our last caller and we definitely advocate breastfeeding but um, for our formula fed it's a little bit easier to kind of guesstimate how much they're actually getting because we have uh, we see the amount in the bottles with breastfeeding it can be a little bit trickier Um, So the overfeeding sometimes can be a little bit harder. Uh, But for our formula-fed babies, it's easy for us to see. So we do have a few little tricks we can do for the overfeeding. One of the things I always like to tell parents is baby stomachs are really small. They're not much bigger than the size of their hand. So when you think about putting, especially once they get up to, you know, six to eight ounce bottles, if they're two months old that's probably too much for them. If you've ever seen a two month olds little bitty hand and try to think about putting six to eight ounces in that stomach. So just a few of the tricks that we can do is trying to help per- move that milk along from the stomach and into the intestines and the um, digestive system. So pausing with feeding, that's what we were talking about earlier. That's really helpful because it lets that have time for it to pass. How much – tell us a little bit about – because that's a question I feel like when I talk to parents about that, they always say, well, how much should they be eating? So tell us a little bit about how much kids should be eating at the different ages.
2: Yeah. Um, So it can be very difficult for parents to to really tell how – Hungry is their baby Because obviously kids can't talk They cry And they cry a lot And usually uh, parents take that um, To mean they're hungry When oftentimes it's not just that Oftentimes they may want to be cuddled Or they may want to be swaddled Or they may actually have to be changed Have the diaper changed um, But Oftentimes, for us, uh, crying a crying baby is kind of like a late sign of hunger. Um, just to before I get into like how much a, a child should be eating at a certain age, um, kind of want to discuss a little bit of the hunger cues that parents should be aware of with their with their children or with their infants. Um, so, some of the the more common things that babies will do is uh, what's called the rooting movement. Especially if they're breastfed, um, they oftentimes will move their jaw or move their mouth, kind of uh, instinctual, instinctively to kind of search for the breast. Um, They'll lick their lips. Um, A pretty common one that I see a lot of times in my clinic um, is they'll put their fists in their mouth Mm -hmm. as if they're saying, please give me a bottle. (laughs) Um, They'll still stick their tongue out. Um, But kind of for us, fussiness or crying maybe can be a late sign for hunger. Um, but parents kind of instinctually go to the bottle just to, as a calming method, again, but without considering those other things. But to kind of get into the question that you told me about or that you asked, really, at how much should an infant be taking at once? At what point? Um, so oftentimes, they'll, they'll feed smaller amounts more frequently when they're first born. Um, so usually about every two, three hours when they're first born. Um, they may not take that many ounces, maybe one or two even at, at that age, but maybe they taper out a little bit to two to three ounces every two, three hours by around like two uh, uh, two weeks of age. Usually around like two to four months of age, they usually should be taking no more than six ounces. I, I usually taper on or usually uh, err on the side of three to four ounces every th- three to four hours-ish. Um, and that's usually pretty tolerable for most kids. If you think that, honestly, they're, uh, like you said, their stomach is only as, as big as their fist, and their fist is pretty tiny. <laughs> At, two, at four months of age, or at two months of age even. So um, you really have to be cautious because increasing that pressure in your tummy, in the stomach, that muscle is weak, as, as you guys will remember. Um, so any increase in pressure increases the risk that things are gonna reflux back.
0: That's right, exactly. So yeah, so overfeeding is definitely the number one cause that we see in clinic for reflux. So that's something easy that we can do to fix it. So we talked about, two with our last caller, keeping them upright for at least 30 minutes. That's super important. It can be kind of hard to do, especially if you're on the go and you just fed them. Um, but it's, it's really important that they don't get jostled around too much and moved around and picked up and put down, because then that definitely just irritates everything in the stomach and gets that milk moving. Exactly. So if you can keep them upright for at least 30 minutes after, that will definitely help some as well. Mm-hmm. One thing to note about that is a lot of times people uh, will put them in their car seat to keep them upright because most car seats, you know, are at a little bit of an angle. Mm -hmm. That's actually really dangerous to put your kid in their car seat after – they eat. And the reason being, well, to, to be keeping them upright. And the reason being is especially little bitty babies. Now, as they get older, maybe not as much, but, you know, little babies don't have very good head control. Exactly. And they're, they're sitting in that seat where they're secured in and their head will drop. And if they start spitting up too much, they're definitely at an increased risk for aspirating that spit up that they have with that positioning with their head that way. So that's definitely something, you know, we want to keep them upright, but make sure that they're in a safe place keeping them upright. The car seat is not the most ideal, especially for our little bitty babies that we have. So what's an, one thing that I get asked a lot about in clinic when we're treating reflux is, well, can I just put some cereal in their food? Mm-hmm. Can I put some cereal in their bottle? What are, what are our thoughts on that with putting cereal in the bottle?
2: Well, so I I typically don't um, uh, suggest that to my patients. Uh, One thing that people always ask me about is rice versus oatmeal. So I'll I'll just start by there, uh, of course. Um, With regard to rice cereal, I would definitely say never. Um, A lot of studies have come out in the past couple years, just about the high levels of what's called arsenic kind of a pretty toxic um, heavy metal, um, that can lead to a lot of downstream effects, uh, increase their risk of even cancer later on in life, um, affect their nervous system and brain development in which parents, obviously you don't want to do. So obviously I would never advocate for rice cereal, but what about oatmeal? So a lot of sites say oatmeal may be okay. Google may say oatmeal cereal is okay. It does provide a little extra or a few extra calories, um, which I don't usually, um, advocate for. Obviously, um, if they're growing well, even on their formula, definitely uh, I say it's not needed because it's in, more calories will increase their risk of obesity and all the problems that come from that a little bit later on in life. Um, as far as like thickening formulas, so there are a lot of thickening um, options on the, in, in the stores. Those have all been show, some of them have been shown to be pretty dangerous, uh, increasing their risk of uh, some intestinal problems later on in life. Um, One option uh, that I think is uh, reasonable sometimes uh, within limits is regard to – uh, that formula changes like there are some what you think of or or what are called AR formulas like infamil has an AR formula and it doesn't provide any extra calories it is an option for usually a, a second line therapy and uh, after the treatments that we've kind of already mentioned um, what that formula does is it, it has a special component that once it hits the stomach acid it kind of thickens it doesn't provide any extra calories again but it thickens just to help things from refluxing back but even at that I usually like to try lifestyle modifications, these other supportive care measures before I jump to that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, yeah, we definitely don't, there are certain situations where we do talk to parents about putting cereal in your formula to thicken it up, but ideally we would not do that as a first-line treatment. Like Dr. Morgan said, we're going to want to try to make some of those lifestyle changes. So those little different things that we can do with the feeding. And then we can consider maybe changing a formula to one of those ones, like he said, the Infamil AR and the Similac spit up are probably the two most common ones that we use. Um, And the AR stands for anti-reflux, so it's kind of easy to remember. Um, but yeah, those are the two formulas that we use probably the most commonly once we switch if we're worried about the trying to get the formula a little bit thicker when it hits the stomach, but just in general putting cereal in the bottles. We don't recommend that. Um, it does not make them sleep longer. It does not make them fuller. Uh, Um, I know a lot of people think that out there, but there's really no proof. That's just kind of an anecdotal thing that people do. Um, but Sometimes there are situations, and if that is the case, that you need to thicken up your formula with a cereal, you really need to be directed by a doctor to do that. So you need to be talking to your pediatrician, possibly even a GI doctor or a gastrointestinal doctor who specializes in the treatment of reflux. So I would not put any kind of cereal in your baby's bottle unless you have talked to your doctor about it. There are some tricks that we can do to help with that, but we need, like I said, we need to make sure that you talk to your doctor about that. We're talking today about reflux and heartburn, a very common problem that we see in our kids, and our teens, and our adults, and so we'd love to hear any questions or comments that you may have. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. And we'll be back after the break. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, and MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we're talking about reflux and heartburn and the different symptoms that you have with it and why you have it and what we can do to help prevent it and treat it. We've got Dr. Jarrett Morgan in with us. He is also a medpeds physician at UMMC. And he's helping us with this discussion. We'd love to hear any questions or comments that you may have, so give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Or you can always send us an email as well at kids at mpbonline.org. Looks like we have a couple of callers, so we'll go next to Sarah. She's in Jackson. Thanks for calling, Sarah. Hey, um, question. First of all, a long-time
4: listener first time caller.
0: Well, thanks Um, for calling.
4: Yeah, I have a seven-year-old who has, um, dealt with GERD ever since birth, um, and we have intermittently been on Prevacid Soytab. Um, I don't, I try very hard not to give it for, you know, chronic use, just, um, months at a time, and then we'll try to stop it. But my concern is, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, I know there have been some retrospective studies with PPIs in regards to um, bone breaks, kidney issues, um, several different studies. But my child has had, um, for about three years, um, hematuria and proteinuria and um, possible diagnosis is going to be IgA nephropathy. So what are your thoughts on a child with kidney issues being on a PPI?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, So that's kind of newer stuff that's come out about the PPI's. So, you know, used to, we used to keep people on those for a really long time. But like you said, we've learned now that people have been on these for so long that there are some complications of being on those medications long term. Um, you name two of probably the most common ones that we worry about. So it definitely can affect your absorption of different minerals. In particular, we worry about magnesium and calcium, which we know are important in our bone strength. And so like those bone breaks that you were talking about or fractures, you definitely can be at a higher risk for fractures and osteoporosis later on in, in life. With regards to the kidneys, it's a, per, a particular type of kidney um, illness that we see called acute interstitial nephritis is probably the most common one. It's a little bit different process than the IgA nephropathy that you're talking about. Um, so it's a little different pathology behind it. I would, you know, I definitely having an, any, any kind of medications when you have an underlying kidney disorder, we try to avoid what we call nephrotoxic medicines or any medications that could potentially cause harm to the kidneys. And I would include the PPIs and Prevacid in that. So, I personally would tell you to avoid it if possible and maybe find other options. Um, but if you don't have any other options out there, you could always talk to your kidney doctor about it and see what their thought process is on it. But just in general, if um, I would tell you to be careful and probably avoid using those medications.
4: That's what I needed to know. Do you know if the H2 blockers have been associated
0: with kidney issues as well? Not as much, not as much. I mean, there's always a potential risk pretty much with any medication, um, but not as much as the PPIs are.
4: Okay, that's great information. Thank you. Yeah,
0: thank you for your call. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Sarah. we're talking today about reflux. Uh, we've got Dr. Jarrett Morgan in with us. He is a med piece physician at UMMC as well. and So he's helping us in the discussion about reflux. Very common complaint that we see in our infants, in our children, in our adults. So give us a call if you have any questions or any comments that you may have. one mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. So she brought up a good point. Uh, We talked about medicine. So sometimes we do end up having to use medications in our patients. Tell us a little bit about why we would have to use medicines, because we want to avoid medications in our little ones, especially our tiny infants, if we can. But sometimes we have to. So what are some of those reasons why we would have to use medicines?
2: Exactly. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, uh, a lot of it goes back to what we kind of mentioned earlier with regards to those red flag symptoms, um, especially if the baby is in such pain that he or she is refusing to feed um, and also on regular checkups, kind of losing weight. We've tried these lifestyle modifications. We've tried these like reflux precautions, kind of like we mentioned, like smaller, more frequent feedings. We've tried holding the baby up. Um, still having quite a bit of spit up, still in pain, still not gaining weight. Then we're kind of uh, kind of forced to, to try some medications, which like we mentioned, we try to avoid as much as we can. but again, Sometimes we have to use them. So generally the, the two big classes of medicines that we kind of consider are kind of like what Sarah mentioned, these H2 blockers, which are like antihistamine uh, uh, is what it stands for. Like Zantac is pretty much the more, the most common one that I've used in my practice. Uh, I'm sure you have as well, as well as with regards to the PPIs, those are what stand, what it stands for is proton pump inhibitors, uh, which will include Prilosec includes uh, a Those are the, um, the, again, the two biggest classes that we use. Um, with regards to H2 blockers, um, usually they act a little bit faster. They're usually one of the first-line medica- medications that I will use in my babies. Um, uh, usually very well tolerated as well, and it, what it does, it it really just helps to decrease the acid production. So acid is really, of course, what causes the pain, right? So if the baby is refluxing, has this acid shoot into his uh, the food to the esophagus, he or she is going to be in pain. So it doesn't necessarily decrease the reflux at all. What it does, it just helps stop the pain, um, and helps give them enough time to where they that muscle that's the uh, the muscle going to the stomach can build up strength and like. I eventually get to a point where it doesn't allow food to go back through. Um, same thing with the PPIs, the Prev- or the Prevacid, the Prilosec. Those are medicines that also affect those acid-producing pumps, hence the name PPIs. <laughs> um, but again, like Sarah mentioned, like Dr. McLeod was just discussing, those medications can have long-term effects, um, particularly the, the PPIs. So they, they can have a lot of effects that have been associated with it, not necessarily have known to cause it, but have been associated with um, decreasing absorption of certain minerals, uh, magnesium, also certain vitamins like B12. Um, in older kids, it's been associated with things like hip fractures, um, diarrhea, um, actually can, has been associated with heartburn as well, which is kind of counterintuitive. Um, so again, we try to lean more towards these lifestyle modifications first, but again, in select populations, yeah, we have to use medications.
0: That's right, yeah. And he made a good point in that the medications, do, no matter which one you use, if you're using the Prevacid or the Zantac or whichever medication of choice, they're not going to stop the spitting up. They're not going to prevent the reflux from happening. So you may notice that your kid still spits up. Your baby still is going to spit up. But what it's doing is it's um, decreasing that acid so you don't get the pain and you don't get that irritability and that uncomfortable sensation like we've all had as adults. You can only imagine our babies' experience in that. So that's when we would intervene and add a medication. It's not going to take away the spit up, but we can at least try to make them more comfortable. So that's why we probably use it a little more commonly in our older kids Mm and our adults, the medications, um, because the reason they're coming in for reflux is because of pain and irritation. And it's not because they're just spitting up everywhere. It's more the pain. So that's why we kind of jump to medicines a little bit more. Um, Like our last caller we were talking about, we do try to give a limited time frame on that, usually about eight weeks. So if you get on medications, you've changed your lifestyle and um, you're still having problems with it it would be a good idea to go talk to your doctor about this because we want to make sure there's no underlying reason why you're still having all these symptoms despite the appropriate treatment and despite your lifestyle changes that you've made. Um, I used to not go to it very much, but now that we know that we don't need to stay on those PPIs for as long, um, I'm more inclined, especially in my older patients, to get them to a GI doctor and to potentially do a scope, like what we call an EGD. It's just a fancy term for putting the camera down, taking a look in your esophagus and your stomach and making sure you don't have a reason why that you're having to be on these medications. Um, and that it's so hard to control your reflux. Um, a lot of times we don't find anything, but it's definitely worth investigating and making sure there's no reason why you have to be on these medicines for so long. So I would suggest if you are, you're one of these people that has been on the medicines for a while and you're still struggling with it, talk to your doctor about it. See if they think you need to see a specialist or if you may need to consider having a camera go down there and take a look and see what's going on in there. It looks like we have another caller. We've got Riette in Jackson. Thanks for calling today. Hey, um, I have a four-month-old
5: baby boy that has a reflux. And recently, it seems like it's the worst at night. And I read that, you know, elevating their bassinet or crib a little bit can help. Mm -hmm. Um, But that just doesn't seem to be really making a difference for us. And it just seems like it's, you know, just escalated, especially the last couple of days. And I was wondering, what are some things we can do at night to help their reflex? And um, I'm worried one of the things that happens is he starts, you know, crying in his sleep, and I will wake him up and feed him and keep him upright for 30 minutes. But I'm wondering, like, should I eliminate the night feeds? Do you think that I'm just kind of cycling the problem by keeping, like, feeding him at night?
0: So I I don't necessarily think you need to eliminate the nighttime feeding he still depends on how often he's feeding because at that age at four months they're still may not be sleeping through the night and they still may need those nighttime feedings and that's can be totally normal um i definitely agree with elevating the crib or the bassinet like you were talking about um, that should help a little bit. One thing maybe you could do is try to not necessarily eliminate the feeds, but space them out a little differently so that uh, maybe he's not getting as much before he goes to bed, such a big bottle before he goes to bed. That may be something you could do so that that way when you do lay him down and you have him propped up, that it won't be as much. But one thing maybe to just talk to your doctor about it, because like we were saying um, If you've done all the right things, we've tried everything, we've even changed formulas, we've done everything right, like it sounds like you're doing, you're keeping him upright, you're propping the crib up, everything like that. He may need a medication to kind of neutralize and decrease that acid so he's not in so much pain.
5: He actually is on Zantac, but I just haven't, like, it doesn't seem to make any difference to me. Like, I haven't noticed it
0: improvement at all really have you changed mm-hmm. have you talked about formulas or anything else
5: um he's mostly breastfed but uh, recently he's been getting some nutramigen okay. as a supplement and the other thing i'm wondering of why it might be worse right now is uh he has an ear infection mm-hmm. and so he's taking
0: amoxicillin mm-hmm. which i don't know does that
5: possibly make reflux worse
0: um, it definitely changes the bacteria. You know, we have good bacteria in our gut already. And so being on those antibiotics can irritate that even more, which can definitely whenever the uh, bacterial flora in your gut are irritated, it definitely makes all the GI symptoms worse. So definitely could be.
2: And okay. even just really the uh, the fact of having an ear infection, you know, you have quite a few uh, inside the ear like detectors that give you just a sense of space, like where you are. So having an ear infection just causes you to be uh, more dizzy, more uh, lightheaded. Of course, it's hard for a baby to tell you that, uh, but that just throws his system <clears throat> all off. Just having an ear infection by itself, so that may also um, be contributing to why it's worse. Okay.
0: And uh, another thing I would suggest too is. All our medications that we dose in infants is based off weight, and babies, as you know, are growing so faster in this time. So one thing is maybe he's outgrown his dose of Zantac, so it may be something to talk. I'm not sure when the last time you had his dose adjusted was, um, but it may be something to call your pediatrician and talk about to see if he needs an increased dose since he's gained weight and he's grown. Okay, Um
5: I will do that. And then just one quick question about the elevating. Um, again, he kind of slides down a little bit in his bassinet when it's elevated, and, like, it always kind of stresses me out that that's dangerous. Um, it's not elevated very much, but he wiggles around so much and he kind of just, like, curls up into a little ball at the bottom of the bassinet at the end of the night. So is that something I need to worry about, or is that just normal when you have to elevate their bassinet?
0: that that definitely can be normal um it probably would be more dangerous to put something in the bassinet uh or in the crib to try to keep him more propped up because that is more dangerous because they can easily get more smush with those um so yeah so i think as as long as you're not lifting it up too much where he's completely sliding down but it it would be more dangerous i think to put uh, different things in there whether that be like pillows or um, they have the little boppies or anything like that in there with them because that would be more risk for suffocation okay well, I appreciate it thank you yeah thank you for your call thank you we're talking today about reflux um, we see it in our kids and our adults and we'd love to hear any questions or comments that you may have so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one 672 7464 We'll be back after the break. Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today, we've been talking about heartburn and reflux and the different causes and ways we can treat it and try to prevent it. We've had Dr. Morgan own with us. He's also a health physician, and he's helped us in these discussions. We've had some great calls, and we've got a few more minutes left, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Or you can always send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. So we've got a few minutes left, and we've got another caller, so we'll get to Marie next. Thanks for calling, Marie. Yes, hello. How are you Can you hear doing? me? Yeah, I can hear you
6: uh yes I, I um this is not a pediatric question um, i I've, I've had to get acid reflux at night mm-hmm. and um and I don't necessarily be, need need to be laying flat just it happens at night and uh, I had been taking Asifex and but I read recently where asifex seems to be indicated in potential um, association with Alzheimer's and I was wondering if you knew anything about that.
0: Um, So, Asifex is one of those PPI medications that we had talked about earlier, Um, and we have known uh, now that there are a lot of potential side effects to these medications, so we definitely try not to keep people on those. Um, I haven't seen as much of an association with the Alzheimer's in particular. Um, There's lots of different different associations that it can be, Um, and dementia is definitely, certainly one of those. Um, It's not... It's not one of the stronger things that we've been seeing. Uh, the osteoporosis and the fracture risk and the kidney disease and the mineral absorption are definitely some of the higher things that we worry about. So, But there is, def- there is a small association that it can be associated with dementia. Um, but the, the gist of everything is we've learned that all of these medications, while they're good medicines and they work, they're not for long term because there are too many potential side effects of them.
6: Okay. Well, how about if you just do something like Alka-Seltzer?
0: Yeah, that's fine. Like Alka-Seltzer or Tums, Rolaids, any of those kind of things that are just acid neutralizers, those are okay. Um, some of those medications, in particular are Tums, you got to be a little bit careful about because they are, um, they can affect like your calcium and your magnesium and different things like that. Um, so you do like have to... Bugs. I thought Tums had calcium. In it, it. it does. It does. So you can see people come in with um, irregular calcium levels. I've I've definitely seen that in the oh, hospital, right. Um, right? And actually, even in some of our like kidney patients and different patients uh, that have problems with their calcium, we'll put them on Tums to help regulate their calcium level. So you do have to. While yes, it's safe to take those, and you can they quickly neutralize the acid and help with your symptoms, and they're probably safer long term you still can have potential risk with those as well okay but a little bit you know just kind of like everything a little bit too much of everything can be a bad thing so
6: well what what would cause it to happen just like at
0: night mostly because i think That's our biggest meal of the day, usually, for most people. Um, It's also usually your busiest meal. So if you're out running around, you may just grab something. Um, But it's usually our heaviest meal of the day, and so I think that's probably part of it. Um, And it's the first time that you've ever really sat down and stopped for the day, and so the symptoms, symptoms seem to get a little bit worse then.
6: Okay. It seems like it happens at, like, bedtime Not necessarily laying down flat, but just even sitting up in bed. Uh, So I'm talking 10 o'clock-ish
0: for some
6: reason.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. I actually got a text message from one of my friends this week um, earlier talking about how she gets it when she's putting her kids down for bed around 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and why is it getting so much worse. But again, I think it's mostly just related to the fact that dinner is probably our biggest meal of the day, and that's when our symptoms are going to flare up the most. But you're not alone, unfortunately, Marie. Um, Dinner time does tend to be, nighttime tends to be the worst for those symptoms. So trying some of those techniques and different things that we can do, making sure that you have a healthy meal for your dinner may help some. Um, But if you're still having symptoms despite being on medicines, definitely talk to your doctor about that. Thank you so much, Dr. Morgan, for being on with us today. We appreciate your help in our discussions about reflux. Uh, This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.